0: Luke 22, verse 54, and it's the Peter denies Jesus, the subheading, if that helps you find it. Um, So from 54, they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him, but he denied it. ...saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him... ...for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know about what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And and, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went, and he went, went out and wept bitterly.
1: Well, uh, good evening. Let's get into it. The Isle of approval that has, uh, that has gripped many lives in my life for so long. But uh, let's, let's jump into this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, but let me just give you, uh, like I normally do, 30 seconds just to quiet your own soul. You want to pray for yourself, and then I'll pray. Father, we, uh, we want to thank you for today. We want to thank you that uh, you're a God who loves us deeply and we often forget this and we chase after other idols in our lives and we replace you so quickly. Lord, we want to say sorry. We want to pray tonight that you we know that you are here. We know that you are present. We just want to pray that we would hear your voice. That you would speak to us. That you would speak to us where we're at. you would comfort us remind us of truth and it would not just stay truth but it would stir our affections for you so lord bless our time tonight use me as your servant help us to know you and your love in a deeper whole new way tonight amen well at the moment um and over the next few years it's a great time for movies especially if it tastes like mine um simple stories with great endings Kids movies, really a kid in an adult's body, that's probably what I uh, put myself down to. But so many great movies coming out. We've just had uh, Beauty and the Beast come out, brilliant. Um, Lego Batman, I know Marlon loved that one. I'm with you, Marlon. Um, Moana, great. Moana was, the rock kills that. You're welcome, right? How amazing. Um, Saw the movie Sing, it was so good. The next few, few years, you've got Cars 3, Toy Story 4, The Incredibles 2, Despicable Me 3, the new Minions movie. Oh, we are so blessed, right? Like, so many amazing movies coming out. And the great thing is, being a parent of kids, I get to go and see it legitimately and uh, say, my kids drag me along. Oh, well, uh, brilliant. Uh, It is great to watch. Recently, Katie and I took the kids to see uh, this movie. Trolls. Trolls. heard a few sighs there. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, Katie and I uh, probably enjoyed it more than the kids. Um, it was uh, a movie starring Justin Timberlake Blake, Anna Kendrick, and to begin this movie, the, the very start of this movie, you have uh, the main character Poppy, which is Anna Kendrick, she speaks um, and says this, "She says, once upon a time, in a happy forest, in the happiest tree, lived the happiest creatures the world has ever known, the trolls. They love nothing more than to sing and dance and hug and dance and sing and hug and dance and sing and hug and dance, but one day, the trolls were discovered by the Bergens. Now the Bergens were the bad guys in the movie and uh, they thought that the only way to be happy was to get a troll and eat it. To eat a troll and that would make you happy. Um, but it turns out in the movie there's another path to happiness true happiness and the trolls led by their leader Poppy teach the Bergens that happiness is found within actually. And Poppy declares in the movie happiness isn't something, put, uh, something you put in uh, so it's happiness isn't something you put inside, it's already there. Sometimes you just need help to find it. That's the moral of the story. And I think as I was watching this movie, this movie really taps into a lot of what is true for us as human beings. We all just want to be happy. We want to be happy. We don't base our lives and pursue things that make us miserable or feel left, uh, uh, leaving, uh, uh, feeling empty. We want to we be happy and secure and joyful and content. That's why we pursue things, to make us happy. Jesus has been saying that the thing we love most, uh, uh, we think will bring us the most joy, and our heart has a space for, for one great love, and that one love turns out to be your God. And we've been seeing that idolatry so far is worshipping something else rather than God. And I read this little definition of idolatry, and I'll read it for you. Because idolatry is about drawing of our heart's highest affections away from God, who created us and covenanted himself to us, And giving those affections to something else or someone else, effectively uh, setting those things up as false lovers and false gods in our lives to worship. In the same way, Jesus says when we commit adultery not not only in our actions, but also in our heart and mind, we can worship idols not by bowing down to statues, but also giving our highest thoughts and affections to something other than God. Tonight, we are are looking at this idol of, uh, of approval, this false god of approval. This is this longing to be accepted, desired, affirmed by others, believing that when we get that that, uh, approval, it actually leads to our happiness. It actually makes us more content and more more secure. And so really, if this is our idol, we believe and behave in a way we want people to see us for either uh, who we think we really are and want to get the credit for what we're like, or uh, we think probably deep down we don't really like who we are, and we don't want people to find out what we're truly like. Uh, we, We know the truth about ourselves, that we're no good, or we're a failure, or whatever it is, and we don't want that secret to get out. We need to hide that secret at all costs, because if that secret gets out, what we're truly like, no one will like us, no one will accept us, they'll reject us. So some of us work really hard at putting this front or this facade or this image on, to present ourselves in a certain way, a way that we want to be seen. We've got to present this image. We work really hard for this, to have this profile, to what others will see, what, we're, what we want to be seen like, this facade, this image. And if we fail or we don't live up to that profile or, or that, that image, we think that people won't accept us, and again, we get rejected. And it's the worst thing in this thinking is to, is to be found out for who we really are. So we work hard not letting that happen. And at the heart of these questions, are more like, do we like who we are? Are we the person we thought we'd be or we want to be? And how do you define yourself? And what do you define yourself on? See, underlying this, uh, this idol of approval, this fear of man, is that we, we do not like who we are, so we define ourselves by what others think. And so we crave the approval of others. We crave it. And I want to say, I'm my hand up. I struggle hugely with this, and I have in the past. And it's a tiring game to play. It's so tiring to play. It's like a, sla- you're, a you're, like, you're a slave to the opinions and to the views of others. And you can never get enough of it. And the, the horrible part of it is, you cannot control what others think of you. You have no control over that. Zero. And their approval is like a drug. You need more of it all the time. You want more and more and more. And it's a never enough. Feeling like this, being like this, knowing the slavery that it is to this idol, I want tonight to expose this idol. I want to talk about it, reveal it for what it is, and then I want to show you a better way. Because it's an idol I think we a lot of a struggle with. This idol of approval, this fear of man, it's all throughout the Bible. Almost every human being in the Bible has struggled. You think of the Adam and Eve story, Uh, Why did Adam point the finger at Eve and not take it on to himself? Well, he feared. He had a fear of man. He had fear of God, which is the right one. But then he pushed the blame on somebody else because he was fearful. He wanted approval. You see, the story of Abraham who lies twice about who his wife is because he wasn't sure what the king would do to him if he found out. You get the the David and Bathsheba story where David uh, sinned, and to cover that sin because he was worried of the shame, he went and eventually killed another man. This fear this idol drove him to. You see, the Pharisees in the New Testament, what stops them from following Jesus is because this following Jesus would look foolish in people's eyes. And they had this idea of they were the religious people and they wanted to keep this image up. And so they feared what other people thought of them so they turned away from Jesus and rejected Him. Then we get to our friend Peter which Kez just read for us. And I want to show you this story. Jesus has been arrested Things seem chaotic, they seem out of control for his followers, this was meant to happen. And just before this, Jesus is talking to his twelve and he's saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to arrest, him. I'm going to get crucified. And Peter says, uh, no way. And just before that, Peter even said to, to Jesus, uh, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is going, that's great. And Peter even says, look, Jesus, I, I'm willing to die for you. I'll go to prison with you, Jesus. That's how, I'm, how committed I am. I believe you are the Messiah. You are the King. You are it. But not long after, uh, Jesus says, Peter, uh, you were going to deny me in a few hours. I'm sure Peter would be thinking, no way, I'm a follower of Jesus. That cannot happen. Then we get this story. It says, they, they seized uh, Jesus and led him away, uh, bringing him to the high priest. And Peter was following at a distance. When they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him, sat in the light and looked closely at him. This man was also with him, but he denied it, saying, "Woman, I don't know him." A little later, someone else saw him and said, "You also one of them?" But Peter said, "Man, I am not." And after an interval of about an hour or, or, or hour or so, and still another uh, saying, "Certainly this man was with him," and he, for he too was a Galilean. Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord looked and turned to Peter and Peter remembered the the, the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So you think, what happened to brave, strong Peter? Not a few hours before, he was saying, I'll die with you, Jesus. I'll be arrested for you, Jesus. Now, He's sitting around a fire, and a young servant girl—someone who is not even that important in this culture—questions him, and he buckles. He buckles. Not once, not twice, but three times, he gives into his fear. His fear of man. He runs back to this idol of approval. What oh, they think of me if I'm following Jesus? What they do to me if I'm following Jesus? So, Peter gives in to his fear and follows his idol instead of following his King Jesus. And this is the power of this idol, this control that it has over lives. Just last week, I was, um, I was doing something that I absolutely hate, getting a haircut. And uh, I go to a place, as you know, that is, uh, that is quick, is cheap, that is easy You get what you pay for. Anyway, I was sitting in the chair... Getting my haircut, just hating it. And um, this young hairdresser, who's like in his early twenties, said to me, "So, what shampoo do you use?" And I'm like, "This is not a normal chat. Like, this—I—I this, I, I don't pay 20 dollars $20 for this. Just cut my hair." And so I was sticking my head. Oh, you know, that, that's a bit weird. And and um and so uh, we normally say, "How's your day? Been busy?" Yep, great. That's it. Cut my hair. We get out. So um today he's really, he really threw me a curveball. He really threw me a curveball. And. Uh, And so uh, he asked this question. It's a simple answer. What sort of shampoo do you use? Now, I know what sort of shampoo I use. I buy it. And so I should have just answered honestly. But I didn't. More than that, more than saying, I don't know, I said, oh, my wife buys it for me, and I just grab it and use it. That's what I said. (laughs) Now, I sit back on that, and I think, why? Why did I say that? Why did I say that? Let me let, you, let me let you in on my inner monologue, right? I'm not going to let you in on Gav's thinking here. It's a bit scary, isn't it? He asks the question, What shampoo do you use? What happens in that instant is my eye of approval grabs me, it grabs my heart. And it says, and In my head, I'm thinking, don't tell him what sort of shampoo you use, right? Because if you do tell him that you know, he will think that you're one of those guys who cares about his looks and he's, and you know, he's into hair care, and I don't want to be that guy, right? You, in my head saying, Gav, you need to keep up your image. This image of I don't care, the macho Gav. You don't want him to think any less of you. And this all happens in my head with under a second. This out of the idol of approval goes, bam, here we go. We're acting. I feared so much of what this young hairdresser that I see for 15 minutes every eight weeks, <laughs> Right? how crazy it is I feared what he thought of me so much it led me to lie it led me to lie so I, in my head I, think, I don't care what he thinks but I, clearly I do clearly I do so much so I'm willing to compromise on what I believe as a follower of Jesus and sin against my God to win this man's approval I then leave feeling guilty and like I sold out which I did And I tell you this story just to illustrate the power of this idol of approval and the hold and the grip that it has over me and over us and the way it leads you to compromise on what you believe. And it leaves you feeling empty and guilty and let down. And this is the power of this idol and it's a slavery. It's a similar situation with Peter. He says to Jesus, you're my king, you're the Messiah, I'll die for you. Heat comes on, young girl questions him, his idol grabs hold, Compromises, he follows his idol rather than his savior. I wonder if any of this is resonating with you yet. I read this earlier this week, which describes how this idol plays out in our lives. It says, When we have a deep concern at what others think of you, when there's this controlling desire for human approval and a controlling fear of people's rejections, when you desire to be respected, when you desire to be esteemed, you desire to be admired, you desire to be included. And you have an accompanying fear of being overlooked or mistreated or neglected or excluded. It's the fear of man. We want so badly people's acceptance. and We fear so badly people's rejection. And what happens is we start to define ourselves by how people respond to us or how we perceive their perceptions of us. It's not even necessary that their perceptions of us, but it's how we perceive their perceptions of us. And we get really enslaved to the fear of man. And being an expert in this idol, which I hate, this idol grabs and grips so many spheres of our lives. It affects how we relate to others. We either are overconfident, trying to persuade people we have everything together, that we, we know everything, we're impressive people with all this knowledge and wit and sense of humor. Or we say nothing in big groups, we're too scared to say the wrong thing. And then we go home and we run through in our heads every single conversation we had that day. And we analyze it. Over and over. Why people say this? Why do they act like that? Why do they come this way? Why do they behave towards me like this? It grips you. It might grip you at work, on how you work. If you work so hard and achieve so much because you want to be known. And you want to know those people that are known for being that high achiever, that smart person, that hard worker at work. You mentioned what uni you study at, studied at, how you worked 90 hours this week, or what, what clients you've serviced. Or it might affect what career we pursue and how hard we pursue it. No, we want, to, we want to prove ourselves to others. We've got to prove ourselves and win their praise. And we don't like much of ourselves. We don't like how people perceive us, so we need to change their opinion of us. So we work hard for that. It affects how we parent. It affects what we want our kids to be like, and we fear them, and so we don't discipline them. We want other parents to think we're good parents, so when we're out in public, we make sure they behave. Their behavior reflects on me. We find it hard to say no. And we take on way too much because we worry we'll let people down and they won't like us anymore. We need to show them how amazing we truly are. And the success and popularity of others makes us feel inadequate. We don't want to try anything else. We want to try something new in case we fail. And if we fail, people will just see what I'm really like. I'll be exposed. We must succeed. There's just a few ways this idol of approval grips our hearts and hugely affects every sphere of our lives. We become slaves to the opinion of others. And we have a hard time accepting that God's approval is enough. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts the Lord is safe. The Hebrew word here for snare is a trap. It refers to a trap for a a hunter would lay for an animal to catch it, to kill it. Snares are dangerous. If we get caught, we must do whatever it takes to free ourselves from it. This idol is so consuming, and that has been my experience. You know, I mentioned this has probably been the the biggest battle in, uh, in my life and has shaped me the most. This fear of man, this idol of approval. Um, uh, for most of my life, I think I've said shared, shared before. For most of my life, I had this belief, and probably still kicks in now and again, that I'm that I'm really unintelligent, that I'm stupid. That's how I viewed myself. And no matter what anyone said to me, I'd share it. Sometimes someone would come and say, "But you're smart, Gav." Didn't help. <laughs> it doesn't help. And I would view myself through this lens, and I have for the last twenty years. So I would just look for evidence of this view of myself. And even if I remotely saw a hint of it, that would confirm, see, there it is. And there were a few key people in my life who treated me as that, as stupid and unintelligent. And so I believed them. I took on their opinion, so I didn't have any opinion of myself. I saw them. They were smarter, older, wiser. They thought I was stupid. That's who I am. My greatest fear was being found out of who I thought I was. I thought, people in this world don't like like or respect unintelligent people. And I couldn't let anyone know that's what I'm really like. I couldn't achieve anything. So I hated to be embarrassed in a group. If I was seen to be silly or stupid, they would expose me. I hated the thought of public speaking, which is ironic, that's my job, but anyway. Um, because me speaking and giving my thoughts, then people can sit back and judge me on those. I'm exposing myself again. You know, and I know people often tell me I talk too fast. For me, it's a sign of being stupid and unintelligent. That's what I I tell myself. So my secret would be out. What would I do? I still, I was and still am easily intimidated by most people, especially confident, seemingly intelligent people. So I just go quiet in big groups. I worked hard at being in any place where I had to voice my opinion. So I did university for a year. It was so hard. I would almost be at the point of vomiting from nerves in every single tutorial I sat in, just praying, God, don't, uh, don't, don't let them pick on me and ask me for a quick answer. My fear was they'd say, Gav, what do you think? I'd be exposed. I wouldn't know what to say. Then I was uh, encouraged, forcibly, potentially, to go to Bible college. First year of walking to Bible college was a whole new level because now it was pushing on, I'm a follower of Jesus, but... If I don't know the answer to the questions, the follower of Jesus, then am I a Christian? Going to Bible college, having panic attacks, being worried about being exposed to speaking class. This idol of approval just gripped every relationship and every spirit of my life. I would want people to affirm me, like me, respect me, because I didn't like who I was. And in my thoughts, I was a stupid, scared, unintelligent little boy, bluffing his way through life. And it sent me to see five psychologists, and it was tiring. Every relationship, every conversation, analyzing, thinking, avoiding, who said that, why did they say that, why did they do this, all the time. I'm, my brain was like, pss, flicking all the time in groups, all the time. I always wondered, what do they think of me, do they really like me? And then you throw the whole grenade that is social media into that mix, wow. You go to it for a fix to try and think, well, if I posted they might like it. Why didn't they like that? Why did they comment? Why did they say that? And you feed it. And it gets so tiring. I mean, I was enslaved to the opinions of others. And the worst part is I had no control over it, of the opinions of others. And it's the worst master. You think the approval of others, that one comment, that one remark will be enough, but it's paper thin. As soon as you get a hint of negativity, pfft, drops out. Goes back to your default, which is I'm no good. And this idol makes you compromise, gives into what you uh, you compromise what you believe because this idol has a tighter grip on your heart than often Jesus does. So you give in. The idol of approval makes a horrible master, and it does not bring happiness, but it brings slavery. So the question is, what do you do with this? What do you do? If you're, not, if you're not grappling with this idol in some capacity, I'm sure you will, or you see others who will. And once you see it, understand it, you can see it everywhere. Ed Welsh, who writes so brilliantly on this topic, says, Fear of man, the fear of man is such a part of the human fabric that we should check for a pulse if someone denies it. So, what's the way forward? I want to say, after 20 years of wrestling, is you need to get at the heart of what's going, the root cause. And the root cause is we don't like who we are. So this need and this this need, this this craving for the approval of others is trying to fix that, but it never does. See, freedom is found on working, how we view ourselves. It's not found in working hard, proving yourself or proving others wrong. It never works because you will fail in life at some point. Someone will say something negative about you. So we need a secure identity, an identity that will not change, an identity built on an objective, solid fact. No matter what happens, that circumstance, that fact cannot be shaken. So here is the solution that I found works, what the Scriptures teach. It is to continually remind yourself and rewire how you view yourself. The answer is believing and finding your identity on the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is an objective fact that has happened. I read this this week, which is also true. We cannot help but derive our identity and value and meaning from external sources. That's what we're made. Moreover, we instinctively seek, them, uh, seek our identity from external personal sources. We know deep down they are bestowed on us by a person. See, God has made us, He's wired us to derive our value and our meaning and identity from an external source. We just need to find it the right place. Not an idolatry of approval, it's found in Jesus Christ. That is where true freedom and happiness is found. I want to walk you through this. This is super powerful. I want to show you this. See, there is love and honor and approval and acceptance and commendation that is greater than any other uh, person's voice or word in your life, and it comes from God. His approval provides acceptance, love in Christ. And this is the gospel. We were sinners under God's judgment. And yet God in His grace took on flesh, and came to earth as Jesus. And Jesus stepped into our place on on the cross, taking away our sin, our shame, our guilt, and he bore the full wrath of God on the cross for us in our place. And Jesus, because of our sin, was treated like an enemy, so that we who are enemies, because of our sin, are treated as sons and daughters. This amazing swap took place. Jesus, with his perfect life and his perfect righteousness, dies on the cross. And on the cross, he becomes sin. He takes away my filth, my guilt, my shame, my sin forever, and I get His perfect life, His perfect righteousness, His holiness. It is mine. His perfect record is mine. And this is the beauty of the gospel. It's called, theological word, imputation. It's imputed. It's given to you. It's imparted to you. It's yours. It's who you are. His record is imputed to us, and we're accepted, and it's by faith. So we could stand in front of God the God of the universe, and have him hand a verdict that says, I accept you. I approve of you. I love you. I justify you. I commend you. God says of you, you are my child with whom I'm well pleased. What he says of Christ, he says now to me, because Christ gave me his perfect righteousness. And that's now our identity. This is now who we are. And it's all based on Jesus' finished work on the cross. We are His children, approved, loved, accepted, children of the living God, with no f- and no failure, no person's opinion. Nothing can ever change that. Nothing can take that away from you. I want to take you to one of the, one of the most amazing passages in Scripture, Romans 8. I want to try and pull some things out for you and show you how this works out. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For, he- for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of uh, of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be justified. We're adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus. The best part of this is it's not, our, not about our performance, it's not about how good you are, how you succeed or what you achieve in life, or what others think of you, it's given, it's imputed to you. And as children, we can approach our, da- our God and call Him Dad. You see there, He says, Abba, Father, this personal term, this language of I can come to you and call you Dad. And the Holy Spirit that's implanted in us reminds us that we are children. His Spirit fixed in my Spirit and says, you're a child. Then we're heirs with Christ. We have this inheritance that is for Jesus, but is now for us. God, our dad, is saying, here's what I've got for you. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Let me jump to Romans 8, 31 to 39. And this is amazing. Keep tracking with you here. It says, what then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And I love this. The answer is no one. If God is for us, if the biggest, most powerful being in the whole universe is for you, it does not matter who's against you. It does not matter. Because you're God on your side. He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him gave Him up for us. How will He not also, with Him, graciously give us all things? God saying, "If I've done the biggest thing in making you a child, I will care for you in every single sphere of life, every sphere of life." He who who He who shall bring any charge against God's elect, it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that. He was raised at the right hand of God, and uh, who indeed is interceding for us? He's saying that no one can accuse you, no one can condemn you. No one. Why? Because the King of Kings died for you to make you right. And that's what ultimately matters. Who shall separate you from this love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger of sword. Paul's just tossing out words here. As it it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor present things or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Love, that nothing, absolutely nothing, no failures, no, no opinions, no negative views of yourself, no thoughts of what other people think of you, no failures, no successes, no achievements, nothing can ever, ever separate you from God's love. No tribulation, no distress, no persecution, no f- uh, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, nothing in all creation. Paul's covered the whole sphere here. We are His, and we are that secure, and we are more than conquerors. And it's forever, and this is who we are. This is your identity, and the problem is we just don't believe it. The Creator, the ruler, the judge of all, the King of Kings, calls you or His child and says, "I love you, and I accept you." That's who you are, and when this identity of what God says becomes your deeper awareness of yourself, it replaces all. It deplaces and moves away all the, de- the definitions. Your own definition and others' definitions. You stop chasing the game of approval. And the fear of men goes away. It's so liberating. It's so liberating to know that you do not have to succeed in order to count. The gospel is liberating. It frees us from the slavery of the idol of approval. When we discover and believe who loves us and how much he loves us, the importance of others' opinions fades away. So the cruelty of approval is you can never really know what others think of you. But one, look at the cross. You can be sure Jesus thinks uh, what he thinks of you. He literally loves you to death. And this is true freedom. I want to, um, I want to finish with a story that i told once before in church. And this is a story that it's a kid's story. And it's written by uh, an author that I like who tells amazing stories. His name's Max Lacado, and the book is called You Are Special. i want to read this story, and I think it nails what we're talking about here, and I, I read this story to my children regularly. I'm going to read it. You can watch the pictures up here, and I'll read it. I think it really gets the heart of what we're saying. These are the Wemmicks. Each Wemmick is made differently by the creator, Eli. Each Wemmick has a box of stars, and has a box of dots and each Wemmick would go around and put either a star or a dot on one another. The pretty and talented Wemmicks uh, got stars put on them, and the Wemmicks with chips and rough wood, well, they got dots. Punchinello was a Wemmick who only ever got dots. He wasn't very impressive at all. He thought to himself, I'm not a very good Wemmick at all, so he stayed inside most of the time. One day, Punchinello met a different kind of Wemmick. Lucia. She had no dots and no stars on her at all. When other women tried to put a star on a dot on Lucia, it would simply fall off. Punch and I thought, This is what I want to be. So he asked Lucia and he said, and she said, Well, it's because I go and visit Eli, the maker's place, every day. That night Punch and I wondered, would Eli even want to see me? But he decided he must go and see Eli so the next day he plucked up the courage to visit Eli the maker's place Punchinello walked into Eli's workshop but quickly got nervous and turned around and headed for the door before he reached the door he heard his name Punchinello, how good to see you, come let me have a look at you, Punchinello replied you know my name Eli responded, of course I do I made you Eli looked at Punchinella and said, you have lots of dots. Punchinella responded, I didn't mean to Eli, I tried really hard. Eli comforted Punchinella and said, I don't care what other women think of you and you shouldn't either. All that matters is what I think of you and I think you're pretty special. Punchinella laughed, me special? Why? I'm not talented or look very nice. Why do I even matter? Eli spoke very slowly and softly and said, because you are mine that's why you matter to me punch and I didn't know what to say but he asked why don't the stickers stay on Lucia Eli responded because she has decided that what I think matters more than what others think the stickers only stick if you if, if they matter to you the more you trust my love the less you care about the stickers punch and I walked out of Eli Eli's place happy but still a little unsure of what it all meant but as he, left, uh, as he left, Eli called out to him, remember, you are special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Punch and I thought to himself, I think he really means it. And at that moment, the very first dot fell off him. I'm going to pray. Father, we want to we acknowledge our hearts before you now and and we want to say we are sorry that we replace you so quickly and easily and this idol of approval grips so many of us and Lord, we want to pray for freedom from the bondage of this slavery to this idol that you would make real for us Jesus and his love and your love for us and our new identity as children of the living God and that would be not just the fact that we think is good for others but we would own that for ourselves and to pray you Holy Spirit make this true truth real for us we would not run to other things to find our identity in them we would run to you the, the one secure God the one who loves us with an everlasting love the one who was saved, who has called us, who has adopted us we pray that that would be enough for our lives and you would free us Trying to seek the approval of others and playing this game that we play. Lord, we are tired of playing it. We're tired of the slavery to this idol when we pray, Lord, for freedom. Lord, just make Jesus real and His life real to us and His imputed righteousness real to us. For those of us who are here tonight and it's been exposed, we want to pray for a healing. pray that we would see your love and your grace and your mercy and your kindness real as we leave here tonight. Thank you so much for what you've done for us. Help us to not overlook it or get blase about it or minimalize it. Help that to be uh, new each day Help us to find ourselves in Christ. Every